end of our Revelation series, a series that is groundwork for a song that says, All Must Be Well. Why can we sing a song like that in this hard world? Because the truths of what we see in God's Word, culminating here in the person and work of Christ at His return in Revelation, is why we sing those words. All must be well because Jesus reigns and rules and one day will return. And we can sing, even in days of sorrow, all must be well. Welcome. We're glad that you're here with us this morning uh, as we get to gather together and to make much of good news. Whether you're in person or online, we are uh, privileged to have you with us. And if you have a Bible, turn to the very last book of the Bible, to the very last chapter of the very last book of the Bible. The next page on my Bible is Weights and Measures. So I don't know what yours might be. It could be a map. Um, or maybe some words to look up in other parts of the scripture, but mine is a table of weights and measures and monetary units. So clearly we are coming to the end of of Revelation. We're going to consider verse 6 through the end of the chapter, verse 21, as we come to a conclusion in a 28th sermon series through this letter to Revelation. We did it. Here we are. Having started on October 10th, 2021, we are now coming to an end. Let's hear God's word, uh, starting at verse 6 and going to the end of the chapter. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up. The words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. And behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace 
of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Now, as we consider these words, the close of this series, we, we pray for timely encouragement that you would draw our hearts to you, that you would help us to see that you are sufficient for us. So be with us now as we come to it together, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Throughout our series in Revelation, we have been working with this interpretive key. Life is hard. Evil is real. God is in control. Jesus wins. So hold on. The aim of Revelation is to give the people of God a glorious encouragement to hold on. This encouragement is glorious because it is fueled by a view of a glorious God and King. His reign and rule over all of history and His return to make all things new. And this encouragement is for us to hold on. That is, to believe Christ and to follow Him with our lives, no matter what. And a life is hard and evil is real world. We come to the end of our series, and the last words of Revelation are a final application of that encouragement and that call to hold on. To hold on. Because, as Revelation has unfolded for us, as we've moved through this series, because Jesus wins, you and I, who are trusting in Christ, we have everything we need to hold on. We can hold on because of Christ. We hold on with a number of things, and our passage works through some application of that, some reinforcing of that charge and that encouragement to hold on. We hold on with a faith following after Christ. In the world in which we live, we're offered a lot of things, and we'll consider that again here in a moment. But our holding on is holding on with a faith following after Christ. Secondly, we hold on with a heart fixed on God. Our faith is following after Christ and our heart is fixed, established. It's focused on God. And then thirdly, we hold on with a life formed by the Spirit. Faith following after Christ, a heart fixed on God, and a life formed by the Spirit. That is how we hold on. That's what we're encouraged to do in this life in this world, no matter what. So hopefully we will be encouraged with that this morning. So let's tackle that together. First, a faith following after Christ. And here we find King Jesus say three times, I am coming soon. So before we dump, jump into uh, these points, we got to deal with that tension. Jesus said three times, I am coming soon. There's a problem there. The problem with the word soon, it's been roughly 2,000 years since Jesus said that. Surely I am coming soon. In fact, three times he says it in verse 7, verse 12, and verse 20. And that three times, that repetition certainly conveys an emphasis, an importance, and an urgency. But what are we going to do with the fact that 
What do you mean by soon, Jesus? <laughs> so let's consider those things first, and then we can work through what holding on looks like in light of Jesus coming back soon. Three things to ponder and consider with this idea of soon. First is this. God's perspective of time and our perspective of time are very, very, very different. How so? God created time and is over time. We are under time and bound by time. Time rules over us. No matter what you do or don't do, time marches on. But to God, time is below Him. Time is something that submits to Him. We have very different ideas of time. Therefore, God might have a very different idea of soon than we do. Think of it as uh, uh, Peter really kind of helps us here. And oftentimes, not oftentimes, all the time, oftentimes we see it. All the time it's true. Scripture is the best interpreter of Scripture. And so 2 Peter 3, 8 through 10, speaking of Revelation, in a sense, in a very small pack of verses, gives us a better understanding of soon. Here's what 2 Peter 3 says. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. It's like Revelation in a summation. It's a short-form version, shorthand, if you will. But in it, we find that, that here, time is very different between God and from us. But here's the one thing that's important. There's some people in here who absolutely understand this principle at play. And that's all of our young ones that are in this room. They totally already know what the word soon means. If their parents say soon, they know and hear and interpret, oh, I have to wait, right? When can I have dessert? Soon. Oh, I have to wait. When can we go uh, to the beach? Soon. Oh, I have to wait. When can I have electronics? Soon. Oh, that means never, right? You know, that kind of thing. So kids at lunch, explain it to your parents and help them get a better theological, biblical understanding of the word soon. That said, soon is coming from a different perspective. Secondly, soon, this word here for soon can refer to nearness or something that is next. That is what comes next. What comes next in God's redemptive historical timeline? Last week we laid it out. There's creation, fall where sin comes in and corrupts it all, breaks it all. Then redemption and the personal work of Jesus Christ. And the finality, the, 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 the close of that redeeming work of Christ is in that fourth aspect of God's timeline. And that is restoration. So there's creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And so what Jesus could be saying here is 
My next thing is coming. Restoration. The next work of God in his redemptive historical timeline is, is on deck. It's what, it's what comes next. You're not waiting for something other than the restoration of all things. So that's certainly possible. And between those two, that can kind of help us get a better handle why it's been 2,000 years or so since Jesus said those words. But there's a third one. And I think this is the one that really kind of helps us the most. Soon can also refer to suddenness. Not necessarily immediate, but suddenness. That is, something happens quickly and unexpectedly. We already actually got a hint of this in Revelation. Way back when we were going through the Three sevens in a row, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, and that third one, the seven bowls. Jesus has a little parenthetical like interruption in the midst of some heaviness to bring about a timely encouragement to God's people. In Revelation 16, verse 15, in fact, in your Bible, it's probably in parentheses, which is all the more of a, a striking um, visual as you're reading through Scripture. Here comes Jesus to interrupt some heavy news about how history is going to go, and he does so to give us encouragement. And that encouragement is this. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. The thief doesn't announce he's coming to do some thievery. (laughs) There's no, like, heads up. Oh, hey, uh, Monday between 2 and 4 a.m., I'm going to break into the office. There's no heads up for that. It just happens suddenly and unexpectedly. And the idea there, and and 2 Peter 3, what we read earlier, reinforces that to us, is that, that there's a suddenness about the return of Christ. And that suddenness, the implication of it, has bearing on how we go about living out our lives. And it and that implication really connects to the call to hold on. If Jesus is saying to the church, to his people, I am coming with some suddenness, some unexpectedness, so live in light of that, then that starts to make a great deal of sense to the broader passage that we just read of verses 6 through 21. If Jesus is coming suddenly, unexpectedly, we ought to be living as if Jesus can come at any moment. And we're not waiting for some other things to come about. That we just know that Jesus will return and it will do so suddenly. That should inform us and encourage us to live as if he really is king and he really is returning. So as we think about that and transition our thoughts now from trying to come to grips with what Jesus says and I'm coming soon... Let's follow that implication to see how then we should live. And the first thing is that we should live following after Christ, a faith that follows after Christ, that we go about following Christ in a distracting world, that we would take seriously what it means to follow Jesus in a world that takes seriously what it means to distract. The world is bent, it's seeking to distract or discourage us from following Jesus. 
So that means our holding on is a keep following Jesus. Look back again at verses 6 and 7 of Revelation 22. It says, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. Everything that just had been poured out for 22 chapters is worth your trust. It's worth your focus and faith, you following after it. They're trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So that when we think about faith in Jesus, trusting in his life, death, and resurrection, we're essentially saying, Jesus, you are trustworthy and true. You are trustworthy. True, you're not telling us a lie, and you're able to see what you're saying about your life, death, and resurrection, your reign and your rule and your return, as as truth, not falsehood, but also as trustworthy and sufficient for us. Both of those words, trustworthy and true, matter, and that's the call, the encouragement to hold on is following Christ as if he is trustworthy and true. Because the world will offer alternatives to place your faith and your trust in. All sorts of alternatives will be thrown your way. The alternatives of power or possessions or pleasures or people, whatever those things might be that your heart is drawn to, all of it is a buffet laid out to attract you away from following Jesus as trustworthy and true. His call here, or his words here, behold, I am coming soon, have strong implication and importance in our lives. How we live now is of urgent importance. And the encouragement here is don't fritter your life away chasing after the things of this world. That doesn't mean don't, I'm not saying don't give your energy and your effort and all that you are created with to do good and to, and to pursue good things. We're talking about ultimacy here. We're talking about holding something out as the ultimate, as the main thing of meaning and purpose in life. Don't go chasing after this world. Because the world-approved good life will be fraught with frustration and end with failure. The world-approved good life will be, if you haven't experienced it yet, you will, it will be filled with frustration. And ultimately, as Revelation has laid out for us, it will end in utter failure. The call to hold on is to follow after Christ in a world that is eager to distract. And when we don't take the bait of that buffet of distractions, then the world will be quick to discourage you from following Jesus with intense Isolation, rejection, marginalization, or even persecution and martyrdom. 
as Revelation unfolded, we got a picture of history. It is the tension of idolatry or persecution played out against the people of God. This is the reality, and so the call to keep holding on, to follow after Christ with a faith that is indeed following after Him is of urgent importance. Revelation is an encouragement to keep faith in Jesus, to keep following after Him. In the, buffet of, in the face of the buffet of alternatives or the boot of rejection. And following Christ in a distracting world can still be a blessing even though it will be difficult. It will be a blessing even though it will be difficult. Blessed is the one who keeps the word. Blessed is the one. Notice it doesn't say easy is the life for the one following after. Jesus has been honest with us. Blessed and easy aren't necessarily things that we need to meld together. It can be hard in this life. Life is indeed hard and evil is real. And our hearts are wandering and wayward. Easy to be distracted or discouraged. And so it's all the more important that we feel the urgency to have a faith that follows after Christ, specifically focused on on Christ as the God in the flesh, drawing near to do what we couldn't do, to overcome what we did, to give us what we could never gain, to fulfill all of God's purposes and promises. And we follow after him. Because ultimately, King Jesus is ultimate. And we are called to keep the course of our life Christward. To live out our lives as if Jesus really is. But that's not all that our passage says. We do, we must have a faith following after Christ, but we also must have a heart fixed on God. A heart fixed on on God, fixed on who alone is worthy. The key to holding on is seeing God as worth it. So think about those two points. Following after Christ, the faith following after Christ is giving us direction. A heart fixed on God and seeing God alone as worthy is giving us a foundation so that we're both in a direction and with a foundation, well equipped for life in a hard world where evil is real. And we need to have hearts fixed on God. Look again at 8 through 13. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of the book. Worship God. Second time John's had to be told that. I could probably hear a little like, what are you doing? Anyway. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of the book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, the filthy still be filthy, the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last, the beginning and the end. Worship God. Striking statement. That's an imperative. Worship God. Literally, it means to prostrate your life before God. 
to lay out your life before God. And to say that God alone is worthy of your life. He alone is worthy of your worship. He alone is worthy of treasuring Him over all things, even our own lives. Because you see in God the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is it. He is the best. Have a heart fixed on God and seeing Him as the best. And that it would shape the way that you then live. I love Psalm 63, verses 3 and 4. It's a glimpse of this. It says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. That's quippy. That's pretty cool. That's motivational for sure. But stop and think about those words for a second. Because your steadfast love... an important characteristic of God that the Old Testament draws upon to give us an idea of the being and character and nature of God. It's better than life itself. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you. I will make much of you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hand. heart fixed on God, on the worthiness of God is needed in our holding on. And that revelation is holding out to us the worthiness of God. The world seems overwhelming. The enemies of God and his people seem overwhelming. And, and Revelation uses these visuals like dragons and beasts and whatnot to convey the overwhelming nature of all of this. And yet, as we went through Revelation, these overwhelming things that are so big, much bigger than us, they are nothing compared to God. Jesus shows up and with a word they lose. The worthiness of God. Have a heart fixed on God. He alone is worth it. Revelation is holding out this picture of the worthiness of God and calls us to hold on to worshiping Him. So much of this world wants to grab your heart. Wants to gain your heart. And the antidote against such things is to feed your heart that God alone is worthy. The world can take good things and offer them back to you as ultimate things to gain your heart. And, and, and says, if you take it, we'll accept you into the club. Acceptance, though, from the world is tenuous at best. There is always a bait and switch or some sort of chase that's associated with it. The world is not enough, as James Bond came to learn one time. There's, there's an emptiness that comes with it, a frustration that ends with failure. Fix your heart on God. If order for us to hold on, our hearts need to be fixed on God who alone is worthy of all the ultimate. Don't give away your heart to something that will ultimately fail you. And Revelation shows us that God does not fail. Don't give your heart to something that will fail. His character never fails. His presence is always best. Psalm 16, verse 11. 
You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What a verse. God shows us the purpose and meaning of life. He shows us that a life in him, with him, for him is full of joy. And that pleasure, that hope, that joy will last forever. The world can't give you that. It cannot deliver it. Only God can give that. From our passage back in Revelation 22, 8 through 13, we saw that not only is our heart to be fixed on God, but what we find there is that what a heart treasures will inform how a life is lived. What a heart is fixed on will inform how that life is lived. It's been said in a variety of ways, we become like what we behold or we are, what we worship. Those are sentiments that convey what we treasure most in life shapes how we live out that life. And in this passage, we see that played out. We see that our living reflects what we're worshiping. A heart fixed on this world will seek to live in world-approving ways and will inevitably reject God and mock His ways. That's where the, some of the bait and switch occurs with the world, living after the world, a world that is against God and against His people, is that it, it will convince us to reject God and mock His ways. It's really at the heart of the very first sin that we find in the Bible. Did God really say God's not trustworthy and true. Reject him and go your own way. And that's played out over the course of history. So much so that we will demand, the world will demand that not only you go that way, but you approve of others who do. Romans 1.32 drives that home at the end of a, a very lengthy section. Paul is showing how a heart that has been gripped by the world inevitably wants others to do the same, uh, plays out. And it says this, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The world will frustrate and lead to ultimate failure. Instead, Revelation, the Bible, it's holding out to us the God who saves, the God who alone is worthy. It shows us that ultimacy of God is ultimately ultimate. And that we would have hearts fixed on that. This is both a warning and an encouragement. Only God is worthy of your heart and life. So we are to hold on with a faith following after Christ. We are to hold on with a heart fixed on God. And we are to hold on with a life that is formed by the Spirit. Formed in Christ, formed by grace, formed through the powerful work of the Spirit. Because the Spirit makes much of Christ to us and in us and through us. Look at verses 17 to the end. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to... Take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of the book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to, their, to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book, 
of prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. The Spirit says come. The Spirit calls us to come to Christ. The church, the ministry of the church, empowered by the Spirit, is a beacon calling out, come to Christ. In Christ, God has made a saving way. In Christ, our lives can be formed by the work of the Spirit to reflect more and more of Christ in this life. And, it, and it's heavy because it, it also says to us, not everyone in the visible church, our lives in this time and place and moment, will be part of that redeemed, restored bride that we see at the end when Christ returns. Only those who hear the Spirit's call to come to Christ. So it is important that if the Spirit is making much of Christ, we as a church join in the work of the Spirit and make much of Christ to one another always. Our life formed in Christ by the Spirit requires and calls us to keep holding on by making much of Christ together. A life formed by the Spirit is a life that is in Christ through faith. Of course, theologians call it regeneration, that is, new life. And the Spirit graciously and mysteriously works this in us. And then we are called to walk in newness of that life. And the Spirit is at work in us to do that walk. Romans 6, 4 says, we too might walk in newness of life. And then Romans 6, 7, and 8 talk about how the Spirit is at work in us, helping us walk in newness of life. This is what we are called to, a life formed by the Spirit. And then we are not to go about taking or adding or taking away what God has laid out for us here. What's going on with that in verses 18 and 19? This adding to or taking away from what we read in Revelation Essentially, it's a callback to words that were in Deuteronomy. The words in Deuteronomy were expressions that were given to the people of God uh, right before they were going to go into the promised land. They were later at the end of their wilderness wanderings. It was a re-giving of the law of what does it mean to be the people of God. In Deuteronomy 4, 2, it says, You shall not add to the word I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord, the God, your God, that I command you. It's a callback to not give your heart away to idolatry or to false teaching or things that aren't focused on God and fixed on Him. It is to trust God. It is a call to trust God, to find these words trustworthy and true, to know Him and to follow Him. Our life formed by the Spirit is taking seriously His Word. The Spirit brought inspiration and illumination so that we can understand God's ways and Word. And the Spirit is forming us even now to this day, to all our days, to the very last day. We are to live out our lives in this world believing God is worthy, that Christ is King, and the Spirit is forming us to hold on. So that means... A life formed by the Spirit is holding on and growing in Christ-likeness. That we would begin to reflect more and more in our lives and in our church 
Christ. Holding on is keeping Jesus, King Jesus in view and living with greater dependence on him and with greater joy in him. And all of this, this call to hold on with a faith fixed or following after Jesus and a a heart fixed on God and a life formed by the Spirit, it's all of grace. It's a grace. It's a remarkable, incredible, wondrous grace. It's the last words of the Bible. It's what we so desperately need to hold on. The grace of the Lord Jesus. That it would be with us all. A life formed by the Spirit is increasingly Christ-like. In content and character. All of that. That slow is, is evidence and expression God's grace. Amen. Some 28 sermons ago, back in the fall of 2021, the very first words of our series in Revelation will help serve as our concluding words. Revelation is not a puzzle to solve, but a picture to behold. It's a picture of God's grace for you, for me, for us, for our church. It's a picture to behold. I hope your hearts have been encouraged to behold our redeeming, reigning, ruling, and one day returning King. And I hope your hearts have been emboldened to hold on to Him. For life is indeed hard and evil is indeed real, but God is in control and Jesus wins. What a picture to behold. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your grace to give what we so desperately need to live out our lives in this world. God, I pray that we would indeed be strengthened and encouraged by the truths of what, even though many times confusing, that what we find here in Revelation would be an encouragement to us to know that you alone are worthy that you are returning, that you are restoring, and that you are with us now and will sustain us until that day. God, may we be sustained with joy and strength for this life, following after Christ, fixed on you, and formed by your Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.